From the boardroom to the locker room, sport captures the imagination like little else. In this podcast, we talk to the men and women who make the big decisions and those who make the big plays to find out where sport is and, importantly, where it's going. But we do so through the only eyes that matter, those of the fan. You're about to listen to our new show, The Groundsman Conversations, which is brought to you by Sports Digiter. Sports Digiter is a cloud-based presentation platform for rights holders, agencies, and brands that brings your story to life within immersive, exciting, easy-to-create proposals and presentations. Used by more than 50% of teams in the top leagues in the US, Sports Digiter's technology enables partners to ditch PowerPoint and Keynote and create powerful presentations of their own that provide tracking analytics to help you understand the performance of your prospecting, cutting through the crowded marketplace to win business. So go to sportsdigital.com to book your demo. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of The Groundsman. Joining me, as always, my two fellow slackers, Charles Morgan and Roger Mitchell. Charles, how are you, mate? Well, it's sweltering here in London town and with the dirt... Oh, get over yourself. Uh, no, there's no air conditioning. There's no fans. There's no wallers to, <laughs> to wave the fans at you. So it's not the heat. It's just we don't know how to deal with it. And um, yeah, so I'm I'm a, I'm a sweaty mess. But there we go. Otherwise, all good. No change there. Roger Mitchell is someone who's more used to uh, dealing with heat, particularly during his time at the Scottish Premier League. How are you, mate? Are you, are you similarly suffering? No, no, I'm not suffering. Uh, well, I'm suffering in another way. Um, my daughter has brought, oh. uh, has brought her um, her boyfriend over to oh, see us. Oh gosh! Yeah, so this is a first for me. <laughs> so I am, I'm, I am absolutely in zen, best behaviour. I don't even recognise myself. Is that why your I hair? Know. Is that why your hair is combed? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I, I've put on the Sunday best. Everything. It's just um, Rog, 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 Rog. You do realise. He's supposed to be impressing you, yeah. right? You do, you, you do realise that. that. That's how it's this that is the impo- circle of it's life. That, it's that imposter complex. <laughs> Rog, can it's I just a quick, a, a quick question? Is he a big lad? Is he intimidating He's you? He's very big, oh, very big Lord. basketball player. Oh, Cambridge boy, Cambridge boy, very nice. Oh, good. Very nice. Well, good luck for him. How long is he staying? Yeah. Um, he's till Friday, so we've got him for two or three days. Is he eating the house um, out of house and home? Is there anything left in the yeah, larder? No, no. I, th- I think he, I think he was kind of looking after himself a little bit tonight to not make the the, the bad impression. <laughs> Didn't even drink. I tell you what, Grant. I don't know about you, but I think going to stay with Roger, having spent four years talking to him on yeah. a podcast, might be the most intimidating <laughs> thing I could imagine. This, uh, <laughs> this this sounds like a reality TV show in waiting. This. <laughs> At home with the Mitchells. <laughs> well, gentlemen, listen, we have um, we have a guest joining us shortly, uh, so I want to make sure that we have a chance to chat the three of us before he joins us, a returning guest, no less. But before we get to our guest, um, plenty, as always, to talk about. We talked a lot about Liv last time out, so I'm not going to bring that up again, even though, once again, there's plenty to discuss there. Um, Rog, what uh, what caught your eye this week? Um the 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 situation with Ferrari is is very very bizarre, you know. Um, this is a brand, and a, it really is a brand. It's like everybody says your your ambition is to drive for Ferrari, uh, regardless whether what nationality you are. Every every driver wants to drive for Ferrari, and and you know it's now becoming the case that it's becoming a liability. 
you know, they're ruining, ruining people's careers, Vettel, uh, even Alonso, uh, and certainly Leclerc. Now, um, just incompetence to the nth degree. Um, it, it really is something really bizarre to, to watch. And, and being here in Italy, uh, the vehemence of the criticism is uh, astonishing. And, and But it's deserved. You know, this isn't any other car brand. This is Ferrari. And I think there's an existential threat to Ferrari equals quality equals uh, desire top of the tree. It's now Ferrari equals stupid because they're making stupid mistakes. Uh, so that's that's what's bothering me and, and getting me down quite significantly. And, and Rog, just give us a, a give the listeners a case, a, a sense of when you talk about the the, the, the local, the Italian sort of outpouring. How, how does that manifest itself? Obviously, the media, but in social media, I mean, what is the position that Italians are taking to their beloved brand? Well, you know, they they love Ferrari. They they do love the the two drivers. You know, some people are saying, oh, maybe the drivers aren't strong enough to to do what Schumacher did in the nineties and impose himself on the team. Well, that's not the case. The drivers have got all the kudos. Um, it's all falling on this chap Binotto, who is an engineer. Uh, he's not a leader. He's not um, clearly not a strategist. Um, so uh, he's getting it personally with the full force of um, memedom, as only Twitter can do these days, from you know the clown faces to. Uh, you know, every scene you can imagine, you know, Charles Leclerc goes into, you know, the social network firmware, uh, you know, he smashes his computer and everything like that. So uh, it's, it's it's taking place on social media and it is uh, bizarre. It's, um, I don't know why he's still there. We talked about this a few months ago. I don't know why he's still there. He's done well with the car, uh, but, um, you know, they're clearly underinvested in smart kids girls and boys and I say girls with a lot of pride because the Redbird chief strategist is a young lady and she is showing everybody how to do a, a job in this masculine world of Formula One and Ferrari are just left behind and, uh, and it's, it's bizarre Giles but it, it is modern sport um, being played out in social media. Well this, uh, far be it for me to move us on uh, too quickly but we do have a guest joining us, and you mentioned boys and girls in sport, which which brings me on to a subject we can't leave this without talking about, and that is the women's Euros uh, this weekend, culminating in that fantastic final between England and Germany, which for the first time, I think, in my lifetime, I can say that we actually won. Um, Giles, the uh, the spectacle, I mean, 87,000 people at Wembley Stadium, packed house, um, just a tremendous tournament, a tremendous way to finish it. What did you think? As entertainment, it was brilliant, and I think it did capture the imagination here in the UK, or certainly in England, but I hope from the other home unions as well, of people just enjoying sport and a celebration, etc. Uh, all of that is tinged with, I mean, obviously you get this extraordinary media outpouring today, which is exhausting and quite funny. You know, the headline writers are having a, a field day, as you'd expect, and that is maybe the best thing about the British media, the sports media, is their headline writing is phenomenal. But I, I, I share a little concern. It's probably not as vehement as Roger, which is this could well be a flash in the pan. I'm hoping this will do the same in, in English football as the, the, the US soccer team did all those years ago and inspired... Uh, a generation of youngsters to play football in America, but I have a I have a fear that um, the flash in the pan um, 
may be repeated. I hope I'm really wrong on that, um, because as as Roger will undoubtedly attest, it's all very well celebrating a moment in time, an Andy Murray Wimbledon final or whatever it may be, a moment in time which is to be celebrated. But when you come back down to earth, what's the real fan base? And I suspect the real fan base, unless they do something about it very, very quickly and really start to engage and to recruit um, people to get involved in the game and really to support, we could be talking about in a year saying that was a great moment and we've moved on to the next. So uh, that sounds like I'm, I'm sort of putting a, a negative on it before it started. I hope I'm wrong um, because it was really cool. I, I, a lot of people were talking about it. It was a the first goal, and particularly the England goal, was an absolute banger. Really, really enjoyable. And as you both know, I'm not a big football fan. I'm definitely a champagne Charlie. But Sunday night, that was pretty good for me. Roger, your thoughts? I, I think, like Charles, I can probably predict them, but I've been curious to hear them straight. Well, no, why, why do you say that? Why, why do you say that? I, I think no, because it, because you are going to be fine. I'll tell, all right, fine. I will. I, you will be focused on the business aspect of it, not the moment and the game. You're, you, I'm sure that you will have enjoyed the game, enjoyed the you know the excitement, and everything. But you will then put your pragmatist head on and you will sit down and say, talk about women's soccer as a business and its viability and some of the echo, maybe some of the things Giles said. Um, and I don't necessarily think you're wrong. I'm just curious to hear what you're saying. If I'm wrong about what I suspect you're going to say, then educate me, Dubois. No, no, I'm not. not I would never do that. Um, I never saw the game, right? Um, I'm not sure it was on here. If it was, I, I didn't um, make, go out of my way to, to watch it. I saw obviously everything that you need to see on highlights and on Twitter and everything like that. Um, maybe I will surprise you here by saying um, once again, England beat Germany in a final at Wembley with a very dodgy referee decision. decision. <laughs> um, let's leave it at that. I could stop there, but I, I'm, I'm a nicer guy than that. Um, the, the finish for the first goal was superb. Um, uh, really top, top quality finish. Um, the I, I, I've always said that if I had you know a hundred million to spend, um, I would invest it in women's soccer. So nobody is going to be able to say that I, I, I'm I'm not in favour of this. Um, what I'm not in favour on, and and I think this is a general thing in life now. People get carried away these days. They get carried away with with everything. You know, the, the, the OMG mentality of people is, for me, quite extraordinary. Um, this is a sport, and I'll make the analogy with London 2012, which was a magnificent, a magnificent uh, manifestation of, of sport. Um, did nothing for all the underlying sports in the last 10 years, probably set them back. Um but we never seem to learn from these moments. We always go on to the next party and the next punch bowl, if I can put it that way. Um, as a tournament, as a as a set of games for the English national team, the Lionesses, it's been a magnificent success. Wonderful, full stadia, family atmosphere, everybody with a smile on their face, different to what happened with England, Italy in the men's game, which horrible scenes. There's nothing you can say that wasn't just wonderful uh, about uh, what happened. But Grant, you're right. You know, and I say this, everybody thinks when I go negative, it's because I want to tear things down. It's not because I say this isn't good enough. I'm of the school, 
only the paranoid survive, Andy Grove. Um, the average attendance for uh, English professional football last year was between one and 2,000, average attendance. One and 2,000. There's no zero missing there. There's no 10 and 20. We're talking one and 2,000. That's the equivalent of, what, Division Three or something like that? With all the will in the world, this is starting from a very, very low base. Um, and I fear, as always, that over-exuberance and Kool-Aid will stop people rolling up their sleeves and starting the hard yards today, which is about how do we start creating personalities and storytelling around these young women. I I don't know. I, I wouldn't know, but I ask anybody listening here, could you name the 11 players that, in the team? I don't think you could. Uh, and if you even know their names, do you know what teams they play for? And if you know that, do you know anything else about them? You look at any other sport now, uh, the, the 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 whole playbook is about uh, the backstory, the character arc, and that goes from uh, Paddy the Barry, um, it's, which is on the back of Connor, which is on the back of all the other ones. So there is a huge job to get done. It is possible. It's the thing I say before that's, get, for me, the biggest potential return on investment in anything in sport and I find this classic little, you know, media loving today. We saw it 10 years ago in London at the Olympics and they still haven't learned. This is going to be really hard to pull this off. So all I want to say is congratulations. You did great. You did your country proud. That was a great finish. And that for me is the, the most exciting thing. That was a quality first goal. Um, but the hard work starts now. And wouldn't you say, chaps, I mean, you talked a lot about the blue collar and the, the mass. What price Barry Hearn right now getting his hands around um, women's football? He's probably a bit old now. But in terms of that narrative storytelling, getting out there and telling the stories, because the stories are there. It's too big, though, Barry, I mean, It's too big for someone like, it's too big for someone like Barry, I think. Right? Because you've got all the clubs. There are so many stakeholders in this in this sport now, right? You've, and, you, and they're all... Affiliates of clubs, they're all you know the Man City women's team, Arsenal women's team. So that structure um, is there, and I and that, that's where I feel similarly to Rod. Just like this is theirs to screw up, and you know, I, it could go one of two ways, Roger. I, I I wouldn't say it was it was more likely than not that they'll screw it up and they won't put the work in and they won't capitalize on this, but you know, it's 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 close to a coin toss, I would imagine. Well, listen, everything I want to say is is in context of about where sports marketing is today. It's a hard skill set. It's strategic marketing, segmented markets, um, different approaches, different channels, different content to a segmented audience. Um, I'm not sure. Well, I'll put it another way. You need to be really, really good to do this. Really, really good. And, and, and I'm talking like world-class good. Um, I have seen no evidence in all of my career in sport that there are those kind of people around in this significant critical mass to move, uh, make the elephant dance. There's loads of good people around, and, and we know a lot of them, and we've had a lot of them in, on this show, but in a critical mass in the same organisation to move that elephant, um, I can't see that happen at the FA. I can't see it. 
Well, time will tell. I have to say, one thing that I, I absolutely delighted me, I, I got uh, the usual set of memes, Rog, on the phone. And the first one that came through was, you know, a whole load of badly parked cars and someone had written on there, oh, it looks like the women's team have arrived for, you know, today's <laughs> match. So playing on stereotypes, which is fine. And I sat there when I got there, I thought, it's funny, but a bunch of people are going to get pissed off at this and say it's sexist and it's blah, 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 blah. And then the next text on my phone was a text, I'm not sure who tweeted it, somebody tweeted it, and it said, bloody typical, you you try and get your men to do a job for 56 years and you end up having to bloody well do it yourself. <laughs> and and that, I thought, was great. And you think to yourself, all the people that get upset about, I'm using air quotes here, misogynistic content about that first tweet, and I see Gary Lineker has been hauled over the coals for making a pun and saying that... Um, uh, I forget the name of the girl that scored the second goal now, was the best bra nun, right? It's a pun. And he was called a sexist and a misogynist and oh all this my stuff. God. Yeah, it's, it's banter. Oh my God. The, the whole and, story and see, is the sports bra with of the course it is. Of course That's the it whole is. fucking picture. Of course it is. And this is why Brandy Chastain became a household name in the US. But, you know, Lineker... Jesus. And, and sadly, Lineker, is, Lineker backs down and deletes the tweet. I'm like, come on, this is just... This is what this is all about. It's, the it's world all about we live having in. fun. It is sadly. It is sadly. Well, Brian, listen, I heard. I heard just before well, we bring we bring the guest in. I heard, and again, uh, this is hearsay that th- there was a lot of people commenting last night about the lack of diversity in the team. You know, like really. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I, I mean, at least let's give them the credit that they put the best players out to win the tournament, yeah, rather than thinking about quotas. Yeah, you know, know, really, really, you're going to give them a hard time because what? I think there's only one black girl in the team. I, I, I'm just astonished. Yeah, Honestly, well, this world of ours. Are you, Roger, Are you? Are you astonished? Really? Well, no, I just like. I, 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 I know I'm not, but you know, it makes you bitter. It makes you cynical, and it turns your 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 blood um, uh, the wrong color, and that's not nice. But. Uh, <laughs> It's, it's, it's all a reaction. It's all a reaction to over-exuberance, virtue signalling, and people that are just never happy. They it's won. A, Raj, they won. It's, it's a good job that you and I got a head start on being bitter and cynical, and we didn't have to leave it to them to turn us that way. <laughs> well, listen, uh, let's, let's bring our guest in, because um, uh, we have a returning guest this week, a man who's been with us before. We had a fantastic conversation last time. Rog, let people know who's going to be gracing the groundsman shortly. Yes, the Sports Digital groundsman guest this week is uh, Laurie Pinto, who um, has, as you say, been a guest before. Uh, one of the most popular episodes in terms of feedback we ever had. Laurie, maybe not as well known as some of the other people that we've had on, but the feedback to his episode was one of the strongest, where you know we talked a whole lot about you know what he does in m and around sports assets, specifically football. His background is a, a top-class investment banker um, and some person, if I remember correctly, called him uh, a cross between uh, Warren Buffett and Michael Caine because he's got, he's got that delivery. But we wanted to get Laurie back because as we have as a threesome been talking about on this show, there is a wind of change around sport and sport investing and sport and valuations now. Evidence is everywhere. And I thought it was the right time uh, to bring Laurie back and get him to tell us what he's seeing at the coalface. Well, let's do just that, shall we? And welcome Laurie Pinto back to the groundsman. Hey, Laurie, how are you? 
top of the afternoon, morning, evening, wherever you are in the world. Well, it's your morning. You're in the West Coast. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty miserable out there. It's about 35 degrees, <laughs> sunny. Whereabouts are you, Laurie? A little town called Las Vegas. Ah, I've heard of it. I've heard of it, yeah. Yeah. Near Blackpool. Never going to catch up. <laughs> Never going to catch up. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great idea. I don't think it works. Strange <laughs> true now. They believe about 60-odd percent of its revenue comes from non-gaming. Sports has been a very big part of it. Yeah, that new uh, that new Raider Stadium right at the end of the strip there is unbelievable. It's amazing. I went to El Clasico last week there. Oh, they um, played there? It was great. I didn't realise that. Yeah, sold out. Chelsea played the week before against the Mexicans. Uh, great atmosphere because it's quite a big Latino community yeah. here. Um, and, uh, yeah. It was funny. I was sitting next to someone, and they said, "Who's the best Chelsea player?" Uh, you know, as Americans, Peter Oscar, yeah, obviously. Best player. <laughs> yeah. So I said, "It's got to be Reese James, right? You know, the left back, right back looks great." Within one minute, he scored the best own goal I've ever seen. <laughs> and no look back, back pass, forty yards. Yeah, any striker would have been proud of it. You know those sort of holy moments See, now, in your life. Now, now Laurie, you could have gone you, watching. You me. were with Americans. You could yeah. have styled that out and gone, go on, get in. They they might have fallen for it. <laughs> this guy goes, aren't they uh, meant to scar in the other goal? <laughs> I'm like, uh, maybe, Curses. yeah. I think he won the betting prize. Um, it is Vegas. Good to see you, Laurie. Good to see you. At the top of the show, we, we made an introduction about how we felt this was exactly the right time to bring you back on. Um, oh bless you yeah no because uh, the the show the last time was just so well received and whilst it was what maybe 18 months ago not not that long it seems like uh, another century in terms of what's happened um, in the, the sports industry uh, and, and I know you're yeah. very very busy and and, and 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 you know what you can tell us about what you're doing we'll, we'll hear very very gratefully and then we want to bounce off some of the things that are just you know um just really knocking our, our socks off every time we open the papers about valuations and, you know, um, you mentioned the Classico there. You know, one of the first things that strikes me is that the deal that Barcelona did today, selling um, a quarter of its studio, which is what its content hub or whatever they want to call it, at a valuation of €400 million, um, you know, to socios, uh, one of the, the new breed of Web3 um NFT people in football. So, you know, the, the whole thing is 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 really in some ways still in a massive bubble that's going one direction. And in other ways, you and me and Giles and Gran know that underneath the the surface there's a lot of icebergs. So, you know, that's the context of what we want to talk about. And, you know, let's kick off by you just telling us, you know, what are you doing? What deals are you seeing? Texter, you know, like, tell us just a little bit of what your world has been about the last 18 months. Oh, man. Don't know where to start now. Um, sure thing. Well, look, the thing that's changed in the last 18 months has been three letters. It's USA, 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 right? In my opinion, we've seen this wave of interest in American, from America in European assets, right? All the other stuff we'll talk through, I'm sure. but. Americans look at the valuation of uh, the domestic franchises and they look across at Europe and they just think it's cheap. 
And that trend has been continued because probably part of the reason is the dollar has gone up in strength against UK and European currencies. So it looks even cheaper. But just on a historical basis, the US franchises just continue to go up in price, whether it's Denver Broncos, uh, which I think was pretty notorious the last few months, with the Walmart family involved in a huge bidding battle uh, between multitudinal billionaires. And they look across at Europe and it's kind of like, yeah, but they've got 100 years of history. They've got a fan base. They've got television deals. They've kind of got to catch up at some stage. And I think we've seen the Chelsea situation where there's been 25 billionaires bidding uh, reportedly, uh, or different 25 different billionaire-backed groups. And the price paid, you know, is the record ever by a factor of actually money-changing hands. And the jury's out. Do, do, we, do we think it's cheap? Do we think it's expensive? Um, Bowley's considered very smart and very smart money. He's got a lot of smart guys with him. Um, on a 10-year view, uh, Rain Group and Joe Rabbitich are saying, you know, it's worth $10 billion. Well, you know, if inflation continues, all these rare assets are going to be worth $10 billion, right? So I... I I hope he outperforms. Um, but there's a very strong argument that soccer, soccer uh, continues to be very undervalued. I think the second trend from the States has been the, the bu continued buying of uh, American money of Italian clubs. Uh, the Jerry Cardinale, Redbirds, AC Milan deal is a massive deal if it's completed as is. Obviously, it's uh, now subject, I think, to court action, uh, is my understanding. <laughs> Um, which may or may not influence the outcome. Um, and there's a lot of smaller Italian teams that keep getting off by different American groups. I mean, if I, if I read it right, Syria A is now majority American in terms of ownership groups. It's got to be only a question of time before they revisit selling off a chunk of private equity because um, that's going to unlock a lot of value and then drag Juventus, Milan's kicking and screaming into it or not similar to the Barcelona-Madrid situation in Syria. So I think the big change in the last 18 months has just been this acceleration of the trend of American money coming into European soccer. Um, things that can cloud the horizon, inflation, no one really knows what it means. Can you, can you really put up ticket prices and everything else 10% to keep pace with inflation? Will prices adjust by inflation? And the second thing is a rising interest rate environment. How does that affect financing? And uh, does it affect it really at all? And at this stage, with interest rates having moved half a percent, it's not so much the interest rates that affect it, it's confidence. Where, where, what's the next move? What are governments really going to do? How does that affect uh, disposable income? Right? And what I think has been proved during COVID, what's been proved over the last 40 years is People will always spend money on sport. And they seem to find it just resilient to anything. And yes, Sky's numbers, I think, yesterday were, were, were sharply down, but I think they were, were expected. Netflix numbers have been coming down, and I think we're going to see the next stage in the war of, of the streamers of sport. Um, and I think clubs are going to get a bit more innovative too, from what I'm hearing. So that's just about five themes in one sentence. All right. So uh, that's where I see it at the moment. 
So, Laurie, um, I'm uh, Laurie. I'm interested. You're, you're. Are you basing yourself out of the states now? I mean, you've been called by uh, some of our listeners as the Michael Caine of sport. You've kind of you've dressed <laughs> you've dressed all in black. You look faintly menacing. Our listeners can't see that, but you you've got a kind of Godfather Sopranos. kind of look. To, it's a Soprano thing. You look a little bit like Tony Soprano. Are you basing look- yourself from New Jersey to give yourself more of that aura? Are you Las Vegas again? <laughs> mafia thing? West Coast? How are you? playing it and do they understand a word you're saying with your uh, cane-like accent i tell you what if i ever need an agent i know who i'm gonna call right? <laughs> anybody um, but charles yeah <laughs> take me, take me off, i can't understand uh, yeah, I, 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 it's very flashing you to say it but but i what i think is i am spending more time here and it's partly there just is a tremendous interest in UK and European sport from here. Um, and I think the drivers for the best tech, the smartest innovators, the capital markets, the depth of liquidity is here. And therefore, it's. I'd love to say I'm doing it purely because I love living in Las Vegas, which obviously I do. Um, but it's actually a logical business trend. Okay, it's It's just the way it is. And, uh, yeah, do I think that, uh, you know, uh, the extensions of, into mafiosi from Vegas is, uh, is a, a little bit unkind. Um, <laughs> it's, it, it's, you know, there doesn't seem to be that much mob influence here anymore. There is the mob museum, which I think we should have a little bit of uh, a trip to if you ever come out here. But I do think that there is just a trend in, in, in finance at the moment in sport and it's hard to see what's going to stop it. I think there's been a retreat from the East. I think the Chinese are largely out of soccer um, or are trying to get out of the holdings that they're in because government policy has changed against them. Um, and I also think there's a rise of multi-club ownership and multi-club groupings that we're starting to see that started over here. I think we're we're seeing it even extended into, into European names, uh, you know, with the rumours that PSG are looking to buy groups as well. Um, and I find that particularly interesting. And I think this this breakdown of separation is going to lead to very different opportunities, different transfer markets, different financing prospects. Uh, and yeah, you know, you're right to say I'm I'm involved with the texture thing. Obviously, legally, I can't talk about it because we're involved in a, a transaction with uh, Olympic Lyon at the moment. And much as I'd love to tell you everything about it, it's it's a listed company. Uh, and therefore, I'm bound by stock exchange rules, and I legally just cannot talk about it. Okay, but like anything, there's a plan, there's a strategy, there's a structure, and we believe the multi-club model is the future of football outside of the petrodollar model. Okay, um, others will disagree, and you know, history will make fools of all of us. Right, so. That's that, that's where we stand, or that's where I stand. Particularly, I'm I'm quite passionate about it. Sorry, let, let me let me ask you. First of all, if you like living in Vegas in August, wait till it's October. You're going to be in heaven. I promise you. Um, but <laughs> but listen, you, you talked about things that could upset this, and and you touched on a couple of them there. Um, one being inflation, but the one I, I'm interested in focusing on with you is is this uh, era of rising interest rates now, because. Um, what you said is so true. It's confidence that that's, that's the problem here. And you know, from from my vantage point, when I look at um, 
just the change in mindset that we've seen in financial markets because of the specter of rising rates. Certainly, that's bleeding through already into the private equity world. We're, we're already seeing um, uh, CalPERS, for example, dumping big swaths of their private equity investments at discounts just to get themselves liquid again. So I'm curious as to as to the the kind of reasoning from the sports side as to why sports might actually still be okay. Is it is it purely a story of undervaluation that that the, the discount is that big to relative fair value that even in a era of rising rates it makes sense, or do you think that maybe there is so much enthusiasm around sport right now that the rising rate picture is perhaps being discounted as a problem too much? Depends where you think they're going to rise to, doesn't it? Right? Um, and if you can tell me that answer, I'll give you the well, answer. Well, I, I think in the in the financial markets, people are you know, already discounting the Fed pivot. They think the Fed's going to chicken out and they're going to start lowering again. And, and that's fair enough if you're, if you're buying uh, Apple shares that you can sell tomorrow if you're wrong. But obviously, if you're going to buy, get in and buy a, a sports franchise, it's a whole different. This is an oil tanker you've got to try and turn around. So I'm, I'm just, I'm genuinely curious as to the mindset there because I, my gut would tell me, given the level of valuations, they'd be very skittish about this, and, and there'd be a lot of things put on hold. But the sense I'm getting is that isn't the case. I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely interested as to why. Yeah, it's a good question, and I think there was, there's been macro factors at play that have affected different things. The war in Ukraine obviously affects Europe more than it does the US, okay? Uh, perversely, um, you can kind of predict what's going to happen. We're going to fight on for another year. Russia will get its extra 50 kilometers of land, and then we'll all go back to peace. But if you really wanted to kill inflation, just stop the Ukraine war tomorrow. Oil prices would collapse, and there's probably a third to a half the contributor of inflation of right now, Okay. Supply chain finance can't really do a lot about it without actually getting more ships moving. And actually, a third of the UK's inflation is supply chain issues from China. So actually, there's not a lot that's really struck. And this is according to Bank of England's reports over the last few months. And so the last little bit of it that really affects more of the real economy uh, is the fact that it affects consumers. But confidence, right? You know, if you rewound the clock at the moment, Anyone that's old enough, you know, this should be like a replay of the 70s. Rising oil prices, potential power shocks. You've got every union going on strike because he got an extra 5%. Uh, and you've got a labor shortage, bizarrely, a skills shortage. Right? People that just didn't go back to work after COVID, 700,000 people. Right? They just have not gone back to work of the employment people. So, so you've got this macro factor. But it's a question of where you think interest rates really will peak, okay? Which is, a, in most countries, a function of where do you think inflation? Because inflation seems to be the only weapon governments can use is interest rates, uh, which are a very blunt weapon. And most governments know that a lot of young people are very geared up on mortgages and loans, and so it's really a tax on the poor and the young, okay? Food price inflation, tax on the poor and the young, right? Uh, oil gas price it's same to a large degree and that's the challenge right and when i look at it none of those factors seem really to rebound on sports or actually it's pretty insulated against most macro shocks it's hard to see what's going to hit them because 
there is this constant battle for content. If it's out here, it's Fox v. ESPN v. whatever, Disney, right? Be everybody. Fubo v. Peacock v. CNBC. You know, the, the competition for content out here is incredibly high. And the numbers for basketball and uh, NFL are staggering. And, you know, we've just been talking for probably 10 minutes. We haven't even mentioned women's football. You know, we just kind of turned the nation. I, I find it shocking Boris isn't meeting any of them over the next few days. You know, how bad is that? We've actually won at something. And for once, the, the prime minister's got on holiday, right? Um, you know, it's, it's such a shame. And look, how, how great a moment was that yesterday, right? Just wonderful. And the rise of women's football is a phenomena as well. And I think it's, it, it does add an impulse. And out here, women's soccer is a much bigger business, I think, than in the right? So that's a long way of saying I just think it doesn't make a lot of difference. What I do think it affects is cash flow of some of the some clubs that are more highly geared. You know, and when you look at most of the Premier League clubs now, because of the way they're regulated, there's very few that are highly geared. Laura, you very- talk about you Laura, you talk about um that obviously rising interest rates, inflation as sort of caveats that maybe sport can resist, maybe it can't. However, a lot of the lifeblood of sport still is is corporate sponsorship. How do you think yep. that's going to affect some of the modelling going forward where, you know, that the world is burning a bit at the moment? Yeah, in, in football, sponsorship is not as big a part as it is in other sports like tennis, golf, rugby, where sponsors are a pretty mission-critical business. Um, I think sponsorship seems to me that the, the new wave of sponsors have almost been out with the gambling companies and a wave of crypto dot com dot net dot finance dot FTZ. Uh, now, the collapse of crypto may affect that wave of sponsorship. And the, there's rumors that a few of these groups are pretty much out of business. And that's an interesting change, whereas they had no holds barred trying to get into sport because generally people that watch soccer they're active and the price per new customer acquisition through soccer advertising was considered to be the cheapest out there okay it's just a fact it just hit exactly what they considered to be the right demographic in the uk a bit like 10 years ago when the the betting companies bet 365 and all these guys came marching into football um and then the government put the 90 minutes rule in or they accepted the 90 minute rule. They couldn't have in-game betting adverts during the game on television. It didn't stop them on the internet, but it did stop them on television. And, you know, these companies have, have uh, cashed in pretty hard. That crypto wave may be affected. There's no doubt about it because the leverage into crypto was gigantic. Um, and whereas stock markets seem to have pretty much held their own or recovered, the, the crypto and stable coins don't seem to have done so so far. They seem to have stabilised a bit, but the leverage in the system there is still being unwound, no doubt. Look, Laurie, let's um, let, let's come back a little bit to leverage, and and come back to Barcelona. Um, about the time you were on the the show, um, the three of us were starting to talk about this this incredible debt that that Barcelona had, which was over a billion, if you added everything in, and what we've seen in the last few months. It's two things, really. Um, them selling bits of their self off, bits of their future 
off to 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 financiers, whether that's their TV rights to I think it's called the Sixth Street a private equity company, and as I said earlier, socios um, uh, their content strategy. At the same time, Laurie, um, you will know how aggressive they are being uh, buying players. Um, maybe not with transfer freeze, but but certainly with wages and sometimes with both. And you have got this absurd situation where um, we always talk about player being greedy, players being greedy and everything like that. In this case, I tend to think this poor lad, Frankie de Jong, um, has done nothing wrong. He's honouring a contract that was signed in goodwill and they can't afford them. They want to bring others in and they're trying to kick him out the door. Um, Barcelona is one of the proponents of the Super League, but surely they are showing themselves to be anything but good corporate citizens. It's just awful, is it not? It's extraordinary, isn't it? When you watch it, you can see it like being played out in this series of slow-motion car crashes. Look, I'm sure Rafinha is a good player. With 50 million, I think Leeds couldn't believe their luck, could they? <laughs> right? <laughs> Buy one, get one free. Um, <laughs> there's no doubt about it. But De Jong and the contract stuff, the, the, these guys haven't been paid for some months if the press is to be believed. And I don't know if the press is fully to be believed. Um, but it's pretty clear that the transfer will go through at some stage over the next week or two. And this has been drawn out for a lot of different tactical reasons. And how it gets played out in the press and with Manchester United's notorious uh, talents in the transfer market um, has added to the stress at Barcelona. Uh, and I think Man United have played a very smart game. They, they figured out Barcelona is under a stressed cash position and, and therefore have a weak negotiating hand. And historically, Laporta has been by anything to stay, you know, winning. And at the moment, Barca are not winning. So he's under huge pressure as an elected official, right? It's very different to owning something and making unpopular decisions and the fans say, do you know what? Spend more money, Mike Ashley. Go and spend more money, Mike. Well, don't you want me to sell the club? So why should I spend more money on players? What's it got to do with you? Um, if you're an elected guy, what's going to get you elected again or get you more popular? You've got to buy world-class players. You know, let the let the next president worry about what you sold down the road, right? The the the, the private equity guys on this uh, probably can't believe their luck. Probably can't believe their luck. Uh, and Sixth Street seems to be everywhere at the moment, and congratulations to them. Um, it seems like a smart operation and a smart deal. Um, and I'm not quite sure on the TV thing what Socios have actually bought. Uh, a quarter of the a quarter of the studio of Barcelona, and this I would like to call the sports digital question. Uh, you know that they sponsor us, and everything that we do is thanks to them. Uh, they're a sports presentation technology software, and I want to ask you why has Barcelona sold a quarter of its content studio? which you know, one would call the media hub. I don't know. It's an absurd valuation, Laurie. Absurd. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I was trying to figure out what that actually was, if that makes you, sense. You well, tell, you tell me. I don't know. I mean, but, who knows? So I, 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 unfortunately, I don't really watch much Barcelona TV. 
so I've got no idea if they've got it's one something is no, it's, it's not really the TV. Maybe. It's like you know uh, anything they do in the future world of content, Web three, NFTs. Um, they they they've sold a quarter of that future division, if I could put it that way, uh, to to socios. Um, so it's almost like selling a startup that doesn't exist because as far as I'm aware, that business doesn't exist today in Barcelona. But the point, the point is, Laurie, you know, like, and this is where, you know, we all need to think about it a little bit. Socios and the proper socios in the sense I'm talking about the, the members of Barcelona, the, 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 the owners, the fans, um, in theory, well, they make a big thing about they own the club. It's more mass they own club. Uh, the usual, but the reality is Barcelona is owned by the banks. It's owned by the fina- financiers. When are, is somebody, in this case, it should be the regulator, which, uh, unless I'm not mistaken, is UEFA, um, are going to say, look, sorry, this isn't, this isn't sustainable. This is absolutely financial doping. You need to get your house in order. We're putting a transfer ban on you until you can get your, you know, covenants in order, if I can use a financial term. Surely this can't go on much longer. Well, I think if you own something, you can sell what you like, right? But the question is, your sustainability question is the issue. Uh, And I think particularly when you compare Barcelona to Real Madrid, Real Madrid have run a pretty conservative shop. They own everything. They're in the midst of rebuilding uh, the stadium, putting a roof on it, and they've won. You know, they just had the most remarkable journey last year, Real. Okay? Compared to Barcelona, who are just struggling in every level. The challenge is selling your future revenue rides to me, on a 10-year view, on a 20-year view, on a 20-year view, what will 100 million be worth in spending power, purchasing power parity, they call it? What will it be worth? And with 10% inflation, in 10 years' time, compounded, you can think it won't be worth very much. So this sounds like an incredible deal for Socios, if it is as described in the headlines. Okay, and that is a really big if. Okay, and I, I believe there were a, a number of industrial groups that were also looking to do this deal with Barcelona, some of the biggest names in tech. And so, if Socios has stolen it from them and got this ten-year exclusive total web-free content deal, then this is an amazing deal for Socios. Amazing. Okay. Um, and that, that's all I'd say. It's an if because my guess is the devil's in the detail um, on this particular deal. Laurie, I wanted to change tack, and I'm fairly certain I don't know how long you're going to be in uh, Las Vegas for, or indeed um, you're there for a while. But the one event I suspect that is not being uh, shown very much on any form of television is the Commonwealth Games, um, which is going on right now um, and uh, being hosted in Birmingham. What's your view as a finance guy, not partly about the Commonwealth Games, but I would throw into that the Olympic Games, so these sort of multi-event games which come from yesteryear. They used to be called the Empire Games, I think. Well, as a finance guy, 
huge audiences. Anything that has India has huge audiences. What, what's your What's your take on it? Well, it's interesting. Out here, the Olympics is unbelievably well followed, right? Because Americans love winners. They love it when the hometown yeah. wins. Love Mayweather. They love Americans winning at sport. You know, the World Super Bowl, the NBA, they just love it, okay? They're very nationalistic in that respect. Uh, and the challenge with the Commonwealth Games is there's no Americans in it, okay? Um, it's not on television here that I've seen, okay? Uh, I believe those multi-sport competitions generally here are incredibly well received actually uh, but i just think that one doesn't hit the spot maybe make a case to bring uh, the usa back into the commonwealth well, I listen, mean, if it wasn't if it wasn't, wasn't a couple that, hundred years if it ago. wasn't for that whole 1776 nonsense they could have had a slot of the commonwealth <laughs> game so look what they're missing out on <laughs> we let them go you know that we let them go because we knew moody's would downgrade them in the end right it took 290 <laughs> years but we knew that there'd be, be a credit risk to our sovereignty right just a bit longer than we guessed, right? But I think it's a great question about what other sports are picking up. Vegas has started a, a lacrosse team here at the moment. Lacrosse seems to have picked up a lot of imagination. A lot of conversations here have been about um, paddle and pickleball. Um, you know, they call it pickleball, yeah. right? Don't ask me why. I just laugh every time someone says it to me. Um and in Vegas particularly, there's also a lot of interest in F1. It's the, They're going to have a race, the first race here for 48 years uh, next November. Not November coming, the year after. But it's the first F1 race that Formula One themselves are the operator. Okay? They've not sold an operating license. They're doing it all themselves, which could be a big change in the whole F1 model. Um, and it's really interesting. So if you look at the UK race, they would subcontract the license to Silverstone. Singapore would go to... It's gone to Ong Beng Seng, who's run it for years. Uh, Miami's got a license to Steve Ross of the Miami Dolphins and Relevance. And uh, those guys, this one, they're running it themselves. So it's a very interesting test case for the whole of the Formula One model. Okay. Um, and as you say, the Allegiant Stadium, amazing. Yeah, but I found that the the, the sports that, that people talk about out here, you know, about basketball, obviously, uh, is is a massive business in Vegas, but there is no franchise here yet. But there's a strong belief there'll be one here in the next two years. And people are even looking to build stadiums in advance of it. Would you believe it? I just love that. We'll build the stadium and they will come. Uh, what could possibly go wrong with that model? Um, Laurie, Laurie, interesting when you talk about those sports. So tennis, which has obviously been a, a big a big part of uh, US, US sports scene for probably a, a century at least, Rog, in particular, has been pretty harsh on tennis, and uh, we've had some great feedback from listeners. What What's your sense there? Do you think a, a great American winners again, like the William Williams sisters, will will bring tennis back, or do you think you mentioned paddle and pickleball, which seem to be in the ascendancy? Do you think tennis is in a bit of trouble from a finance point of view? It's a, it's a sport I don't really understand because I think the average fan two years ago was sixty two, and the average fan now age wise is sixty four. Yeah. So how do you bring younger fans into tennis? I love it, right? But how do you do it? Don't get Rod started. It doesn't seem like the next doesn't seem like the next generation of players is connecting with a younger audience. And there's also 
there seems to be a trend across many sports to, for for speeded up sports, whether it's 2020 at cricket, sevens rugby is very popular here, uh, very popular, and as you know, I think created a much deeper interest in rugby worldwide. Hong Kong sevens, you know, it's a legendary event. Everyone goes to it. No one sees one minute of rugby, from what I could remember. That's <laughs> thanks to a, him. He's to blame event. for that. That's his thing. Yeah. yeah, if you remember the Hong Kong Sevens, you probably weren't there, right? Um, you know, it's there is a trend for speeded up short form sport uh, for the attention span of younger people to fit in with the the new generation, right? the The other thing a lot of people are talking about here is golf and the the live golf versus PGA uh, uh, battle uh, and the rights and wrongs of that. And what do you think um, about that, Laurie? What's your view? Yeah, on I was that? going to come on to that one, Laurie. Uh, personally, I think it's it's great. Competition is great. We're in a capitalist world. Why should anyone have a monopoly? I don't blame the players in the slightest for taking the money. You know, they're highly tuned resources, Roger. You know, uh, they get injured, they lose a livelihood, right? And I'll tell you is- what, Phil Nicholson would absolutely to think of him as a highly tuned resource. That's a great <laughs> image. <laughs> yeah. You, but you know what I mean. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but it, but it's, it's a very interesting approach to a disrupting a very strong sport, what is perceived as a very strong sport. Um, and that just the number of players, and actually the the demographic of the players that have joined it suggests they've kind of already won. Um, you know, they've got enough depth now. And they're trying to show it in a slightly different way on television. It's slightly more engaging. Um, I think there's there's a couple of trends that are going to change in the way technology is used at stadiums out here that are going to come to Europe soon. I think the whole in-stadium experience in Europe is still the same as it was 30 years ago. There's the game. You watch it. You want to have a pie? Help yourself. Oh, if you want to spend money at Arsenal and have Gordon Ramsay knock yourself out and that's it and then you leave right um i think that's going to change and i think there's quite a few groups here that are going to make it a more rounded experience and i'm not just talking about cheerleaders or bands or half-time shows okay but i think there's a lot of groups working on that angle about how you can engage better to make it more of an experience around the sport and I think that's a very American thing, but I think that that's coming to Europe. It's coming. Okay. Um, and that's a lot of it is about how you use Wi-Fi as much as anything else. Okay. So uh, that's something I've seen quite heavily out here. Um, Laurie, it, Laurie, Laurie, sorry, sorry to cut you off me, but I was just, um, the, um, you know, I was speaking to somebody in the West Coast, further west than you are the other day, um, in sport tech and we were discussing how these people coming back to multi-club strategies and everything like that uh, how so many Americans are buying clubs assets that they I personally don't think they, they, they understand a lot um, and this guy said something to me that stopped me in my tracks an American guy an American guy says to me Roger we here look at football clubs like Manhattan real estate. We lever up, we buy, we renovate, we flip. 
And I thought, <laughs> I thought, fuck sake, that's exactly it. All, yep. all this yep. stuff about long-term strategy and a central hub of skill set and they're just re- leverage, renovate, flip. Or, or is that too unfair? Um, I know, I know, I know you I can't say. My lawyer on that one. I know, uh, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I think that it's a, it's a very difficult one to, to answer very quickly. But I'm sure a number of the owners are more opportunistic than others. If you look at the most successful deals done in sport, it's generally been the smart buyers that have been better than the smart sellers. You've got to buy well, okay? And if you look, the Glazers bought Manchester United brilliantly. Fenway bought Liverpool brilliantly. Uh, I would argue uh, Abu Dhabi, Sheikh Mansour bought City brilliantly, okay? The best deals have been when the buyers have been smart, all right? Elliot's inherited AC Milan beautifully, okay? When you start buying from smart buyers and you're paying big numbers, how do you get your return? As Chelsea, you know, you're, you, you, they're committed to over four and a quarter billion pounds if the, if the papers are to be believed. Let's see how they're valued if they're 12th in the league next year. Okay. Um, has the underperformance on the pitch of Man United affected the value much? The brand is just frighteningly strong, isn't it? Remarkably Um, strong. And I would say, I still believe Man United's the cheapest big club in the world. The cheapest. Okay? Just because the brand has stayed strong, even when on the pitch they've been a shambles at varying stages last year. Right? Uh, But they just have this incredible following. Man City, can you imagine Man City with that kind of following, what their return on capital would be? Just jaw-dropping. Um, and I think that that, that it's that crossover of brands with uh, following and with smarter tech, which I know, Roger, you, you advocate some, some super interesting businesses at the moment. And, uh, you know, well done you on actually ferreting through and finding some of the real winners because there's an awful lot of companies in the sports tech space, uh, a, 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 a lot, yeah. and, and very few of them are world-class. Right? So I've been lucky. Cute. I've been lucky. No, 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 you make your own luck, mate. And, you know, you can be humble later, right? Yeah. And what what I would say is when you look at the, uh, the valuations and how people manage their businesses, out here – Sport is definitely a subsector of entertainment. For sure. It is part, it's part of the entertainment industry. Whereas in the UK and Europe, football and football stadiums are like the holy grail, the sacred turf. It's the hallowed pitch of football, right? Rugby, you can see it's a fantastic sport for the purists, right? But out here, rugby has not succeeded. There's been different attempts at it, Major League Rugby, the sevens has worked to a greater or lesser degree, but rugby has not really found its positioning yet in the US. Um, will it? Won't it? There's lots of talk about different people with different big ideas on it. Um, 
But we shall see. We shall see. You know, there's a long time in the world ahead. And the difference in the US, I think, is there's this huge depth of middle class hmm. that spends money on sport. I think a lot of it is to do with the way they structure their society. Most Americans that work get two weeks holiday a year and they make the most of it. Europeans get four, five, or six weeks holiday, and the rest they just waste. Okay. Um, you know, and therefore weekends and going to sport, they tend to spend more money. They go for longer periods to a NFL game. They go to the the the, the, the uh, car park for a barbecue, you know. <laughs> they tend to spend the day at the sport and they spend money. Whereas when I go and watch football in the north of England, you get to the ground, you go to a, for a few drinks near the ground, you scoop in with 10 minutes to go, you have a couple of pints on the way home. Whereas here, you, you go to the Allegiant Stadium three hours before kickoff, right? And you just have a great time there. Or the ice hockey, you know, it's the in-house offering is incredibly strong. Whereas I think culturally in the UK and Europe, people tend, tend to go for drinks nearby. If you'd agree, they just spend their money near the stadium, not at it. Laurie, let's um, let, let, let's come back to Las Vegas because the one one of the great things about the last time you were on was you were telling us about this amazing hobby stroke um, uh, side hustle you've got for playing poker and chess for money. You're, you're now in Vegas, so I'm not letting you get away here. Then you tell me what you've been doing at nights. I want it. We want to know. It's a family show. I, I can tell you, I'm a family guy. Um, yeah, small up on the poker. Okay, <laughs> small up. Okay, that's the honest truth. From being medium down, um, kind of resting at the moment. So yeah, I've been playing a bit of poker. Yeah, it's been going okay. And like, can I? Can I? Can I? No, seriously, can I ask you? Um, people say that the whole um, way of playing poker. In the last two generations has changed utterly. Um, and, and I'm talking at the highest end, I'm not talking about amateurs. Um, have you noticed that there is a different a way to, to ap- approach the game? Is there more aggression? Are people taking different views on, you know, what you called risk management the last time you talked to 85, 15 and things like that? I'm reading it's changed. Yeah, it's become a much more technical game. Okay. It's a bit like any level sport. There's a lot more television coverage. The prizes are much bigger in the tournaments. You put in a whole range of much more quantitative approach. Okay. Everybody kind of knows the rough odds now pretty much more than you would expect. At a certain level, you always expected the pros to know the odds on everything. But even now, as it filters down to the lower ranking tables, playing for less money, you meet a, a lot, lot higher standard of poker players. A lot more women poker players. Uh, I generally don't play much poker with women uh, because I think women can read women and women can read men and men can't read women when they first meet them. <laughs> There's you know, female instinct or DNA. And I don't That's so true. That is so true. Just gives them a little playing edge. You know, over a period of time, that wouldn't last. But inst- but they're just female intuition, I believe, is a real thing. Uh, so I try not to play with women poker players. <laughs> okay. Sorry, ladies. Um, and uh, the rest of it, yeah, is just is just more technical. You can see, feel it's a younger audience, and uh, the professionals tend to have filtered down to the lower tables to catch fish uh, there. And therefore, you just got to be aware of it and just price your money accordingly. Yeah, like 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 most businesses, risk risk management 
now something people talk about in poker. It's kind of extraordinary, really. Never thought I'd see the day. Yeah, and and and, and on the other on the other one, um, chess. I, I don't know if you follow the. You know, I, I'm actually a, a big believer that somebody with a lot of skills to, could do something amazing with uh, chess. Um, if we talk about community businesses and community businesses being the future, Giles talks about that a lot, knowing who they are. Um, that is one hell of an audience, the chess audience. Um, but here's the thing I wanted to ask, and I don't know if you follow this. I know you just hustle uh, for money, so maybe you don't know. Magnus, you know, the world champion. Um, Go, of course. Yeah, you know, now M- Magnus is a generational talent. Um, you know, Bobby Fischer-esque. And like Bobby Fischer, he is deciding to no longer defend his title. I tend to think he's gearing up for a breakaway independent chess federation that, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, uh, I, I don't know whether, you know, it's something you follow a lot, but uh, could something be done seriously with chess the, the, the way that the, the 2022 media sector works? I believe so, yes, actually. And I'm surprised it's taken him so long. I think he's been waiting for an underwriter uh, to back his ideas. He had his own spin-out tournaments during COVID that were played online. Um, he is a once-in-a-generational thing. Hopefully he doesn't end up like Bobby Fischer, who obviously went start raving mad at the end, towards the end of his life, right? Um, but yeah, I think it's, obviously it's a great game of skill. I think it teaches a lot of discipline to younger people about tactics, planning, uh, and strategy. Uh, and I think it's not built around how big you are, how fast you are. It's a genuine who can outmaneuver who. And I kind of would say that, wouldn't I? But did you right. see that story uh, in, in Russia of the robot who broke the little boy's uh, fingers because he the little boy beat him at chess and the robot attacked the little boy? True story. It's true. <laughs> Stop it. It's true. That's... Last week. Those evil Russians. I know. That is so Russian. That is so, it's Russian. so Russian. It's like a Bond thing. Unbelievable. <laughs> all right. You can't believe everything bad you read about the Russians, all right? They're not, you know... <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, uh, I think there's a lot of potential sports where everyone's looking around at what sport is going to be the next breakthrough sport and how does it break through. And pickleball and paddle seems to be almost there from a participation point of view. I've noticed that here a lot more people participate in sport and value participation in sports. There's a lot more businesses around playing five-a-side football and soccer than I think we've seen historically in the UK. And they seem to value it higher and people seem to spend more to participate. So when I used to go and play five-a-side football, you know, XXX years ago with my mates on a Tuesday night or Monday night, I think like everyone did, you paid your fiver or your eight quid, out here you'd be paying your 50 or 100 bucks. Okay, and people queue up to do it. And there seems to be a lot more spent around this uh as a as a format and um i think that's that's there's a lot more big data opportunities and ancillary and direct benefits around it i think that mass participation uh seems to be uh, a theme out here on certain sports 
Well, Laurie, listen, it's been uh, it's been another fantastic hour. It's it's always so much fun getting a chance to talk to you, and um, I think the uh, the perspective you've got from being in Vegas for a few months has obviously rounded things out pretty nicely. Um, <laughs> yeah, what what could possibly? I know, that right? Wrong, I know. Well, well listen, you 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 uh, say our listeners have called you the uh, a cross between I think a cross between Warren Buffett and Michael Caine. And uh, oh, and I have to say, once again, you did blow the bloody doors off this uh, for this last hour. So <laughs> not many people knew that. exactly. So listen, thanks again for joining us. The best of luck out there in Vegas to you. Enjoy yourself, but not too much. And uh, and we'll see you when you get back on this side of the pond. And fa- thanks very much for having us. And I have to say, your podcasts are, are truly legendary across sport, guys. So go intergalactic next. All right, <laughs> you go. Thanks, Larry. thank you, Laurie. Thank you for your time. Mate. Thank you. Bye-bye. See ya. Marvellous. Absolutely marvellous. Uh, just just such a larger-than-life character. Really just, uh, you know, he, you, it's not often you see guys like Laurie who are exactly the same as they were 30, 40 years ago in terms of who they are, but they know so much more. They've, they clearly really, really understand the space they're in, the other players in the space. It's, it's just, it's such a great skill, Roger. And I, I love talking to people like Laurie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I know you've got some friends in common and everything like that. Uh, I, I find he's just got a very, uh, very, very sophisticated eye. Yeah. For, um, for somebody who you know is not. I don't think he, he's in sport. He, he's, he's around finance and sport, but he's not in sport. But he picks up. The same things that we're picking up, whether it's paddle or whether you know yep. the technology is alluding to. Uh, we talked about the last show, Top Golf. It's the kind of thing he's talking about and how that's going to link up with um, the live action. Um, and he's just you know a very easy conversationalist. Yeah. Which you know, for me here, I'm now at half eleven. That's exactly what I'm looking for. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> I'm not looking for the Excel models. <laughs> well, listen, it's uh, it's to, to, if if you want an Excel model in your life, you've got Giles. Um, so, <laughs> fellas, listen, it's uh, it's eleven thirty for you, Roger. It's ten thirty for you, Giles, and it's five thirty for me. So I'm I'm in the sweet spot. But um, you know, I, I, again, just a just a, a fascinating. Fascinating, enjoyable conversation. Uh, our thanks to our guest, Laurie Pinto, for, for, for stepping away from the poker tables to, to spend an hour with us. God bless him. That was a nice thing for him to do. Uh, please follow us on uh, Twitter. You'll find us, if you don't follow us already, at Entertained R. That's the word A-R-E. You can find me at T-T-M-Y-G-H. And you can find me, Giles Morgan, at GilesMorgan71. And you can find me at RPM Como, as in the lake. As in the lake. Gentlemen, avanti. 